It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. Welcome to Thursday morning. <laughs> I had to remind myself when I looked up the clock, which never got changed forward. We went to daylight saving time, so I looked, wait, it's only 9.03. No, 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 10.03. Good morning and welcome to Light the Tower on the Horn. 1049, 1019, AM 1260. Where we're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and in hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us. Glad you're alongside as well. Good to be back. Uh, the first day for me back from vacation was yesterday in Arlington at Big 12 Football Media Days. And that was really cool. It was good to be back there again, as it always is. Uh, but uh, good to be back uh, in the home compound as well. Uh, Jeff Howe is out uh, today, and he'll be out tomorrow as uh, there's some company business that uh, he is dealing with at Horns 24-7. So, uh, in fact, I think he is still up in Arlington, but they've got meetings and things like that. So he is uh, out today, and uh, he'll be out tomorrow, and then he'll be back on Monday. Of course, as always, ready to go with us is our producer, Cameron Parker, who was with us yesterday in Arlington. It was good to be able to take you on the road for a deal. Uh, how was your first ever Big 12 Football Media Days experience for you, Cam? Well, Craig, actually it was my third experience. Oh, that's right. You went. That's right. You were there last year, weren't you? Yeah, last year with the Horn. I yep. went with the Daily Texan in 2019. So All it's right. always fun to be back up there. That, that's right. So you enjoyed it? Yeah, it was fun. Uh, late drive last night, though. Um, <laughs> me Wait for this coffee to wake me up. I got gotcha. you. Uh, I had... Um, uh, I had uh, a dinner last night with uh, the uh, other uh, broadcasters, not just the play-by-play guys, but uh, members of the broadcast teams of the Big 12 Conference uh, radio networks, and it was uh, a bit unusual or different because we had new members, and uh, so, you know, getting a chance to visit with Greg Rubel, the play-by-play voice for, uh, for, uh, BYU to talk to him. Uh, and, and as I said with Bucky and Aaron a few moments ago, it was just a, a few minutes, uh, it was just a few minutes, um, uh, I mean, I was taking a look at, uh, something here or the big 12 football media days going on. But, uh, anyway, uh, there were only just a few guys who were unable to make it, um, uh, both Toby Rowland, our, our good friend, the play-by-play voice of the Oklahoma Sooners, and uh, Dave Hunzacker, the play-by-play voice of the Oklahoma State Cowboys, were unable to attend. They had a schedule conflict thing, uh, and I think that was the case with Kevin Eschenfelder, who does Houston Cougar football. He wasn't able to make it. John Walters, who does Iowa State's play-by-play, was coming in this morning, I think, with the team, with the with uh, Matt Campbell and them. So he was unable to make it last night. But everybody else was there, uh, the other Big 12 play-by-play guys, and uh, in several cases, also uh, the analysts, our friend Landry Burdine, who's been on the sidelines for TCU for all, is now going into the broadcast booth with the retirement of our good friend John Denton. So uh, he'll be the analyst there. So uh, he was there. Brian Estrich, play by play voice of the Horned Frogs, was there. Tony Caridi, uh, the voice of the uh, West Virginia Mountaineers, uh, sat next to Brian Jensen, the Texas Tech uh, football play by play voice. I've known Brian since he was working at Channel 8 in Dallas back in the 80s before he was even doing tech. We've known each other a long time. And uh, Brian's had two kids uh, be uh, University of Texas graduates. So uh, that was good. And uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, John Morris, uh, play-by-play voice of the Baylor Bears, was right on my left. And uh, so there was a picture. I tweeted out a picture uh, late last night when I got back 
I think I also posted one on Facebook. But anyway, but it, if you want to see it. And there were several other guys, like I said, they're analysts. Uh, Scott Adams, a sideline reporter for, for uh, Central Florida. Uh, they had so, uh, so it was good seeing everybody there. And it was, um, uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. It's always there. It's a nice, I mean, it's always a nice uh, gathering when we can get together uh, to do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, Specs text line is open at 337-3776-512-337-3776. This is what I mean by this. Our man CB says, did you have a secret meeting in Arlington of the Secret Society of Play-by-Play Guys? There's not much that's really secret about us, really. We're out there in public. That was something that Rod uh, labeled us with. Uh, somebody else asking, uh, Cam, how was Poncho's? Did you make it to Poncho's uh, Mexican Buffet? No, because I had to drive the work fan. And oh, I had yeah. to drive it up and, and drive it back. And if we were staying overnight, I probably would have, but I had to be back up here. It's not far from there. Yeah. Yeah, it's not far from there. There aren't too many locations of Poncho's left, but that was, it was there. I, I ended up having dinner at the uh, at Texas Live last night uh, with the guys. And, uh, you know, on today being national, French fry day, mm. I had, I had uh, cheeseburger tots last night which was pretty good it was spread out over there so it was it, it was uh, a good guy so he said Landry Burdine is one of the best sideline reporters I've ever heard anxious to see what he does in the booth now he'll be good it was discovered last night during our conversations that I called Landry Burdine's final high school football playoff game now I've, I've told this story from a different angle before but I'm going to tell it again here because I didn't know Landry was playing uh, at the time. Now, I knew he played at Arlington Lamar, and when I was up in Dallas at KRLD, of course, we uh, we kind of pioneered doing uh, high school football uh, on uh, on big market radio, that kind of thing back in the day. And one of the teams that was on, maybe on more than any other team, or at least a lot during back in there, was Arlington Lamar. And they had really good teams, coached by the legendary uh, Coach Eddie Peach, J.J. Joe, who's the analyst on the Baylor broadcast, and I was the quarterback of the 88 Arlington Lamar team, and I did their quarterfinal game against Odessa Permian in the Friday Night Lights year and uh, called that game. And also that was the Dallas Carter year because uh, Carter ended up beating Permian in the semifinals. And um, I, so we were talking, and then uh, Landry said, yeah, my last year, uh, he said, my brother was playing when you were doing those games 88 and 89, the two matchups between Lamar and Permian. And uh, my last game was in 94 against Ben Lee. I said, the 29-29 tie? He said, yeah. How do you know that? I said, well, I did that game for statewide radio. He goes, really? And I said, the interesting, I was supposed to do another game. And then I got asked, like, early in the week, could you go to Midland and do this game because our West Texas guy is sick? And I thought, yeah, because the game they assigned me to was supposed to be a blowout. And I said, okay. So I go out to Midland. I do the game. It's a great game. 29-29 tie. And in those days, the 20-yard line penetrations, uh, you know, decided who would advance if they tied. Well, they were tied on penetrations. The second tiebreaker was total first downs. And Midland Lee had a slight edge uh, in total first downs. And so they got to advance. And we, we talked about that. And he said, I didn't know you were doing that. And I said, yeah, that was the game. I got switched off to uh, that game. And um, so then when the game ended, it was an afternoon game, early afternoon game, like one in the afternoon. I jumped back in the car with the guys and I drive back to Dallas. And I was, I was getting ready to go over to the studios in Arlington to record the highlights for uh, then High School Extra, the uh, magazine show I was doing back then on uh, Fox Sports Southwest. So I was driving back, and uh, we get close to town, and I said, hey, flip over to this other game that I was supposed to do, and let's see if it's still going on. It was still going on. It was Plano East John Tyler, 1994, great gosh almighty, Joe Friday. I was supposed to do that game and got asked to do the other game instead. And now you know the rest of the story. So yeah, it was it was that. Uh, but anyway, it was it was a good time. We had a good time last night. Uh, Longhorn Bear says, uh, "Welcome back, Craig, and thanks for the copy of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. I'm glad you got yours. You know what? I'm feeling so good about being back. I'm glad to be back in town. We're giving away two today, including one right now. Be caller number four, fourth caller at five one two four 
512-447-3776, our hotline number, 512-447-3776. We're going to give away two copies, one this hour, one next hour. So right now, fourth caller, 512-447-3776, and you'll win a copy of Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine. Now, here's what else is coming up. Bottom of the hour, uh, Ty Harrington, our uh, Outstanding baseball analyst who worked with us on uh, Longhorn Broadcast. Of course, he's a lifetime Longhorn and 20 years the head coach at Texas State. Won a JUCO National Championship as head coach at Northeast Texas Community College up in uh, Mount Pleasant. He'll join us. We'll uh, kind of revisit the uh, Longhorns uh, draft experience, if you will. Those who were drafted. Uh, those who uh, went undrafted. Uh, the announcement of Tanner Witt saying he's coming back. So we'll do that. That's our Longhorn Report segment, bottom of the hour. Then uh, we will have Inconceivable. Uh, Today is National French Friday, but there's a couple other uh, Inconceivable-type items. So uh, we'll get to those. And then as I mentioned, and uh, I I mentioned this with uh, Bucky and Aaron as well, in the 11 o'clock hour today, KXAN Chief Meteorologist David Yeomans will join us for a variety of reasons. Um, I asked if he could come on with us. First of all, they have their uh, their annual fan drive that starts tomorrow, and and you know there's always a great deal of concern because of the uh, very very hot conditions here in this Texas summer, and um, and uh, so they have the fan drive going. Uh, you know they're very very cognizant of. Uh, especially uh, the elderly who may not have uh, air conditioning or or not, uh, you know, real reliable AC or something like that, and so we'll we'll get him on that. But the, but the other reason I wanted to have him on is that today I believe it is I'll, we'll confirm this. Today could wind up being the hottest recorded temperature on planet Earth. Like in recorded history, now you know, back in the the Paleozoic era, we might have had temperatures 150 degrees. Who knows? But in the modern era, like you know, since the turn of the 18th to the 19th century, the hottest recorded, I believe, the hottest recorded temperature in the United States history was at Death Valley in 1913, 134 degrees. It might break that today. Yikes! It could be. Now, I it, trust me. I understand. It's incredibly hot. When I got in the truck to uh, leave AT&T Stadium in Arlington, I was going back to the hotel to change clothes and then come back over to Texas Live to, to have dinner with the, with the uh, Big 12 broadcasters. When I got in there and cranked it up, it was 119 degrees. Now, that's heat index and when it's starting up. It but it only cooled down about 109 mm-hmm. after that. So um, we're going to have David on to talk about that and maybe some – hydration tips for you and some things like that. So uh, he'll he'll join us coming up in the 11 o'clock hour. So we've got a lot of things uh, to get to. Did we have a winner of our first copy of the magazine? We did. Congrats to Danny Hernandez. Okay, there you go. Uh, that, that's first. Uh, Daniel, congratulations. And we'll give away another copy uh, coming up next hour. And, and uh, like we said, our, our text line, the Specs text line is open at 512 CB on the Specs text line said, you know, two years ago, my first summer in Washington, we had a historic heat wave up here. And 70 people died because they didn't have air conditioning. Yeah, it's it's just it's different in a lot of the other places uh, as well. So, yeah, it's 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 quite hot, uh, as we know. So, um, you know, so that's that's where that is. I, I mentioned top of the program. I know some of you may just be popping on. Jeff is out today and tomorrow. Uh it's uh, Horn's 24-7 uh, company business things, uh, meetings thing. He's still in Arlington, as a matter of fact. Uh, but um, I'm glad to be back here in town. All right, so, yeah, folks asked about the the, the whole deal about uh, Poncho's. You did not make it to uh, Poncho's uh, Mexican Buffet. Uh, Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, were you one of those guys in the day? Where, hey, you, you've done Poncho's, right? I have not. Oh. I have not. Oh, yeah. well. 
when I was your age, I would do ponchos a lot more. Not that I, not that I eat that well anyway, but uh, but I would do a lot more where you just you raise the little flag mm-hmm. when you want more and you want more enchiladas and they bring them over and you want more tamales and they bring them over and you want more rice and beans and they bring them over and you want you want taco whatever uh, all that stuff and then the sopapillas. A lot of folks say they really like the sopapillas. Since Jeff is still up in Arlington, hopefully maybe he'll. Make a poncho stop tonight, and tomorrow, could, maybe bring some back. And me. and could and, and uh, definitely could. Be there. All right. Uh, one other thing I wanted to do, I had a couple of folks ask me, uh, since I wasn't, uh, since we're not up there today for Big 12 Media Day, yesterday was Texas Big Day, and we we talked to every Longhorn representative there. We talked, uh, of the five players uh, in, suce- in succession, we visited with Quinn Ewers, Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, Jade Barron, and uh, Jalen Ford. So we visited with all five players. I think it's the first time it ever worked out for me, given parameters and talk show and things like that, that I was able on whatever show I was doing up there to get all five. And, and sometimes they didn't take five. They might take four. There were a couple of years where only three went up to, to get all the players and the head coach. Well, we did visit with the head coach right out of the gate. In fact, we were the first interview we did. He walked in in the AT&T Stadium in Arlington. So I had some folks said that they did not get a chance to hear the conversation with Steve Sarkeesian. Obviously, all of our conversations are available uh, on our uh, podcast page at hornfm.com so you can hear those conversations. But, but we'll repeat it for you right now uh, with Jeff and I visiting yesterday with Coach Sark leading off Big 12 football media days. And it starts off because Sark wanted to know about something that happened with me on my vacation when I was playing golf at the at Sea Trail there, uh, Sunset Beach, North Carolina, and there was this little alligator that crawled across the ninth tee box. I had posted it on Facebook, and we let him go on by. And then later, as I was playing the 14th, I had a shot was down there water, as so I started to go down there, I heard this thrashing. I turned around, and it was a huge gator. Great to see you, and and so uh, I haven't avoided. It, so anyway, so there's the uh, that's all part of the conversation there. And uh, are we ready to go with this? All right, here it is. Here's our conversation yesterday with Coach Sark. Great to see you, Craig. Good to know that you're alive and avoided the gator attack and did. everything else. I did. Everything is over. We'll have more on all of that. But Sark's looking at us like, what the, where, where are we starting with this we're, we're, Here's where we're starting. We're at Big 12 Football Media Days in Arlington and leading us off, and it is only right and proper that we visit with the head football coach of the University of Texas, Steve Sarkisian. Sark, I appreciate the time. How's your summer going? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys. This is a great way to kick off media days with you all uh, to, to start it off. And I know everybody wants to talk ball, which is exciting, and football season is right around the corner. But you can't lead with a potential gator attack and, and, let's, not, and let's not get into yes. it here right off the bat. So my summer's been great. No gators. You know, it's, it's been awesome. But please, please fill me in a little bit, just well, a little bit. Wait, all it was was I played one in, in two and a half weeks, I played one round of golf. And that's about all, usually all I play. And I actually hit the ball well, did not putt well. But anyway, so I'm on the hole, and it was on the number nine tee box, and a uh, gator comes uh, crawling across the tee box. Now, he was a little dude. It, it wasn't that it wasn't uh, that big a thing because uh, he was only I'd say oh maybe four yeah, feet. Only four, only a four feet. Four. four it, it wasn't it it wasn't much. I could I uh, hear there's uh, that's him just kind of crawling across there. The nineteen. So box. so the way I'm watching this video that that you're showing me right here that looks like a a, a baby to that's some, a, it to was. some degree. <laughs> it was. Well, you know, generally when there's a baby, there's a mother. Well, I'm getting somewhere, to that. somewhere <laughs> I'm getting around. To that. So he came crawling across the tee box, and we let him go. And then he went, he went uh, on into the pond. And so he wanted nothing to do with us, and we wanted nothing to do with him. So we just let him go, and that was that. Now, two holes later, uh, I'm on a, uh, a a par four, long par four, and I hit a I hit a second shot that trickled down near the water and I go down and I've got a shot and it's going to be third trying to chip up onto the green and I hear thrashing behind me and the first thing I think of is gator and I turn around and it's a 10 to 12 footer he's huge but he isn't interested in me there was a a a, one of those big box turtles and it was about as big around as a laptop over there and he crushed him like a walnut Sorry. I mean, he was having breakfast. 
and he was devouring. I thought, okay, I'm going to let you guys finish up, not so much for the turtle, and I went ahead. So that's that's the Gator story. That's that's all I have. All right. There. Well, that's, I appreciate you sharing yeah, that. <laughs> absolutely. So now that that is cleared, let me ask you about the summer and about uh, how it's gone for the guys and their off-season work and getting ready for the coming season. I think it's gone really well. Um, you know, I, I feel like the year in general has gone well for the guys. You know, and we touched on this. You know, getting ready for spring ball and coming out of spring. I thought winter conditioning went really well. Uh, I thought the implementation of some of the new players, the transfers, as well as the high school kids in the wintertime and then going through spring ball. Uh, I thought spring ball was was a success in that, you know, we didn't have any major injuries coming out of it. Guys that were coming off of off-season surgeries kept getting healthier, and that trend has continued into the summer. Uh uh, you know, what, I, what I've been talking to the team about, you know, I just love their focus. You know, I think that these guys now in year three really understand what we're about. Um, you know, I, I used to talk a lot about buying into our culture. Uh, I think more so now these guys aren't just buying into the culture. Uh, they're, they're elevating our culture. They're, they're contributing to our culture. Uh, and that's how your culture continues to grow and get better. But, um, you know, I like our group. You know, we're, we're talented. We're tough. I think we've got really good leadership. I love the staff continuity. So in the end, summer has gone really well because I think that these guys understand the expectation of, of each phase of our season. Summer's no different. It's tough. It's hard. It's The weather is, is has not been kind, but that's, that's what it's for. It's for us to get kind of hardened to get ready for the season. Speaking of staff continuity, Sark, knowing how important Coach Patterson was to you last year in that special assistant role, you've got three guys in those special assistant roles. Uh, specifically, and in, in kind of what were you looking for when you hired those three, specifically uh, a guy like Paul Christ, where you both come from the same frame of reference as power five head coaches who've run your own programs yet serve as the play caller and kind of delineating and uh, distributing those duties. Yeah, you know, I think any time you try to bring people into your organization, you, you want to be specific in, in what their role is and how they can, uh, A, help what we're trying to do and, B, what we can offer to them. I think Coach Christ, obviously, his experience of, of being a, a tremendous head coach in his time at, at Wisconsin and at Pitt, but his track record of kind of where he grew up in the profession. You know, he, he worked for Mike Riley for a number of years. Mike Riley, uh, that connection he had with Norv Turner way back in the day, Uh Norv Turner hired me right. as a quarterback coach for the Oakland Raiders when I was 29 years old. So philosophically, I think there's a lot of things that make sense. Joe D. Camillus is coming to us from, from the National Football League after 31 years. Uh, and his experience and expertise, not only on special teams, but in game management, I think will be helpful. Uh, and then Payam Sadat coming to us, uh, one of the originators of, of the flex defense. And that, that ability that that defense has to create pressure on the quarterback. So everything was for a reason to what we do. I think they've all been tremendous additions uh, to go along with some of the younger folks that we've brought in, but then ultimately keeping that core staff in place that, that we have now for three straight years. Would you say that maybe the, the, the role of that position when you have those special assistants it's evolved maybe over the over the past few years. I mean, everybody always thought about a coach sitting in a in, in a room just just cutting up tape. And I know and I know a lot of that still happens, obviously. But but has it evolved a bit? Well, I you know I can't speak on behalf of what other people do or, or how they utilize people in their organization. Um, we try to make sure that these guys, if they're going to spend their time, if they're going to be with us, uh, that they that they had can have a significant impact on what we do. Um, and so they've got roles and responsibilities. I love having them because of the expertise that I can bounce things off of them. And, or I can, we can go to a practice and training camp and I can ask somebody to say, hey, can you watch X, Y, or Z today? And then get some feedback on that, whether it's a specific drill, whether it's a position group, whether it's a specific scheme that we're trying to implement that day, that they've got the eyes and the expertise to, to give me knowledgeable feedback. What does your summer look like, Sark, in terms of your plan of, you know, studying play callers that you like, guys that you try to take ideas from, and, and also looking back at last season and saying, you know, I, I wish I was maybe a little cleaner in, in two-minute here or in, you know, four-minute offense here or in, and just kind of breaking down. You know, I know we talk about breaking down players, yeah. but as coaches kind of going through that self-evaluation. Yeah, there's no question. We, I always I always self-evaluate, self-reflect, really after every game and then at the end of every season. And 
um, you know, there, there's there's a cost to all that we do. And then you, you try to look at how do you mitigate that cost because we only have so much time right. and energy that we have. Uh, and then you try to go out and, and what is going on out there and who who has been some of the best either last season or for the last two, three, four years. And how can you continue to implement some of the things that you think fit you um, and not lose what you're really good at and what your what your core values are so in the end you you always try to look at all that stuff and and you try to look at areas to because it's not just about the plays it's about the timing of when right. to call those plays and to have the personnel to run those plays i would say my, my plays always work better when i got better plays running them get better players go. running them right so i think there's all that that goes into it and in the end hopefully you know as year in and year out as you go, and as, as we go into this season, that we've got everything in place from a personnel standpoint of players, from uh, a playbook and schemes that make sense to, uh, as a play caller, you feel comfortable with what we're going to do and that all of the special situations as they arise, that you've got enough menu of things to do when those things come up that you feel comfortable and you're versatile enough to handle them. I know they, they're pulling on you to get to other things. I want to give you an opportunity before you go to tell folks a little bit about how the ramp up is going to go from here with the staff and with the guys uh, as you as you wrap up. Yeah, so the guys just finished up summer school. Um, they had kind of the 4th of July week to kind of finish up school, take a deep breath. Uh, and then we're back into we've got three more weeks of summer conditioning going. We've got three more weeks of, of our PRPs and skill development work that we do. Uh, and then we'll crank it up August 2nd, and, and we'll go from there. And I think that we've got, we've got a good plan in place to get our team ready to play. I feel really good about the health of our team right now. Um, we had a lot of guys coming off of injuries and different things. They're all back going. They're all back working, which is, which is exciting. You want your full allotment of your roster ready to go. Um, and then ultimately we, we've got to make sure that, that we've got the consistency, that we have a competitive training camp to get our minds right for a, for a very challenging schedule. Hey, uh, I appreciate. It. I know they're they're pulling on you, and and we got your quarterback ready to hop on with us too. So we've we got that. We've got He's that. way more exciting than me. No, that's so. all right. It's okay. I appreciate you taking the time. Appreciate you guys. All right, great. Well, Enjoy the day. Okay. All right, uh, Steve yep. There it is, uh, Coach Sark. That was our conversation. It was like like right during this segment uh, that happened. It was right out of the gate when uh, when Sark joined us. I mean, he literally would walk right in the building, and and uh, John Bianco and his outstanding staff brought him over, and then uh, and then. Um, in addition to that, uh, Thomas Stepp and Ryan Tuzo uh, and Jeremy Rosenthal, they brought other guys, the players over to us as well. Uh, so then we had an opportunity to visit all that. And, again, if you missed any of those other conversations, you can catch them on our podcast page at hornfm.com. All right, we need a break. When we come back, we shift to baseball. It's our Longhorn Report segment and our Longhorn Notebook segment, and we'll uh, visit uh, with Ty Harrington to talk about this when we continue with Light the Tower here on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. She keeps them always in a pretty cabin. She says, just like Marie Antoinette, a building a remedy for Chris Job and Kennedy. It was 38 years ago today. Live Aid, London around the world, and of all the acts that performed, they said that Freddie Mercury did with Queen that day was just absolutely astounding. So uh, I was, I know CB had tweeted that, or saw a couple other tweets about it. So yeah, 38 years ago today, Live Aid. It's time now for our Longhorn Notebook. Longhorn Notebook. And uh, joining us on the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina hotline is Lifetime Longhorn, uh, former Longhorn assistant coach, uh, junior college winning national championship coach, and 20 years the head coach at Texas State. And, of course, now one of our analysts on the Longhorn baseball broadcast as well as on the ESPN Plus telecast there of Texas State working with Brant Freeman. Good to have the coach. Ty Harrington on was I, I get the feeling maybe in 1985 when you were a Texas Longhorn 38 years ago uh, probably Queen wasn't at the top of your playlist if you'd had an iPod back then probably wouldn't have had uh, Queen involved in that am I right about that I, I know you're a classic rock guy but were you into that uh you know I was yeah I was on the verge of I mean again I you know my roots were country and southern rock 
um, which is what you kind of grew up with in Waco. And uh, but in 1985, when I hit Austin, Texas, my you know longtime friend and teammate Doug Lindauer started introducing me to a lot of different music and uh, a lot of different things. And uh, Queen was right. I mean, it was yeah. I gotta say, I mean, I gotta say it was starting to become part of my. If I would have had an iPod or my normal listening, it would have been uh, you know KLBJ. I guess would have been playing it some. Yeah. And, uh, the old 90. So I, I guess. I guess so, yeah, I was. <laughs> and when I heard you say that, it kind of dinged me a little bit because you said 38 years ago, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> I think that got my attention a little bit more. And, and, uh, and you know, and since now, you know, if you listen to Freddie Mercury and, and Queen and just how unreal his voice and how he could carry so many different levels of it is just so unbelievable. Absolutely. I, I, and in my concert vending days, and folks know about my background when I put myself through college in the uh, early 80s selling T-shirts, working either for the band or for the arena, I remember working a Queen concert uh, at uh, the old Summit in Houston. Now it's Joel Osteen's church down there. But uh, uh, but it, I, I remember the show that they could put on was, was something else, and they certainly did so at Live A. Of course, 1985, you were just coming off a heartbreaking loss in Omaha to Miami there. Two of them. Yeah, two of them were, were, would have uh, taken just one win. It was kind of like how the Longhorns ended up in a heartbreaking fashion with, with Stanford needing just the one win and two tries there. So, so then probably I would imagine by July, one month later, not that necessarily you were over the loss, but you had to move on past it, and you were in your off-season work, right, such as it existed back then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was back in the – well, for me, it was, you know, summer ball, and a lot of guys went off and played at different places. I actually would stay and live in Austin and um, and work summer camp at Coach Gus's camp with Coach Bethay and, and uh, Coach Gus, and again – at that point, I'd already decided that coaching was going to be a part of my career or my, at that time. And so I would stay. And, uh, yeah, so the all-season would be camp from 9 to noon and then go find out where the Waco Pirates was playing and what was in the Texas Beer League. Huh. And uh, and you would play doubleheaders on a weekend. And it was really a lot of fun. Now, it, it was a great baseball lesson. Play with so many ex, you know, professional players in that league and current college players, and uh, but it was really a lot of fun. I learned a lot about baseball, people, travel, just a lot of different things, and uh, it was fun and uh, it was a great time. And it was hard to get over that '85 uh, season. That was one of the best teams I had ever played on. Uh, with, and, and if you go back one of these days, I'm going to take the time and go back and look at all of the big leaguers that were involved in that 85 World Series. I mean, you're talking about, you know, Pete Incavillo, Oklahoma State, the Mississippi State, Texas, uh, Miami. I mean, it was just that that whole Omaha year was just riddled with, with big leaguers all over it. And, um, and it was a very special time in, in Omaha. I still go back to it and think about how ESPN has grown with college baseball in Omaha from, you know, just hearing the ping – of that metal bat on ESPN as opposed to a wooden bat for professional baseball. And you remember the old brown dirt that was in the old Rosen Yes. And, and just, you know, different things like that. I mean, I can remember, again, I tell this story often leaning over the fence in left field, uh, watching Ben McDonald give up the home run to, to Paul Carey, the grand slam. And, uh, and then, you know, Stanford ended up beating us the next uh, game. And um, my senior year in 87, and uh, so a lot of special memories, and, and um, man, I, those are things I'm, I'm certainly proud and excited to have been a part of some of the most unbelievable athletes on those 85 teams or those 80 teams at Texas, and it, it was a lot of fun. Visiting with Ty Harrington, and, of course, uh, Major League Baseball draft was this week, and uh, it's wrapped up now uh, through the 20 rounds. Uh, and uh, first and foremost – uh, a lot of the conversation is going to be about uh, the guys who are either not drafted or uh, were drafted uh, very, very late to the point that you would expect them to return to Texas. Toward that end, just a little while ago, Baseball America tweeted out its quote-unquote winners and losers, college baseballs, 
college baseball's winners and losers coming out of the 2023 draft. The winners include LSU, Stanford, UCLA, and Texas. And what they wrote about the Longhorns is, and I'm quoting here, while recruiting classes drive most of the winners and losers on this list, Longhorns' entry is mostly based on returning players, specifically right-handers LeBaron Johnson Jr. and Tanner Witt. Johnson Jr. went undrafted, and Witt was not picked until the 18th round. They are now expected to return to the 40 acres and have the potential to give Texas the best one-two punch in the country. Texas' recruiting class also got a significant boost when outfielder Will Gasparino went unselected, while the Longhorns uh, lost powerful right-hander Travis Sikora in the third round. Getting Gasparino to campus is a big win and is a boost in a position of need, end quote. So that was what what their take on it was. It has also been announced within the last couple of hours. Uh, uh, Tanner Witt announced he's coming back, and just a little while ago, LeBaron Johnson, LBJ, said he's coming back as well. So I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Uh, the the guys who were drafted, Dylan Campbell in the fourth round, 136 pick overall by the Dodgers, uh, Lucas Gordon, sixth round, uh, taken by the Chicago White Sox, Travis Staley in the 12th round by the Washington Nationals, 345th pick overall, Zane Morehouse in the 14th round to the Cleveland Guardians, Garrett Gilmet in the 15th round of the Astros, and then Tanner Witt in the 18th round to Baltimore. But again, uh, Witt and LBJ both have said they're coming back. So you followed it very, very closely, Ty. You saw where those guys were drafted, and now we know, obviously, officially, that Tanner and LBJ are coming back. How about your thoughts overall on the, the draft and how the Longhorns were affected by this? Well, let's start with, how about since 1965? You know, K-Rod put this out. The University of Texas has had a guy drafted every year. I think that's fascinating, and – I think it speaks volumes about the, the program, the coaches, the players, the type of athletes and people that have been involved in that program. Secondly, congratulations again to all of the guys that were drafted. Um, I know it's always a goal for every guy that you coach that comes to you in collegiate baseball, that that's their next step. You know, that's what they, they've been working towards, wanting to get to a Division One, you know, program. Then the next after that, you know, to get to professional baseball. So certainly congratulations to those guys. But if you start to look at, the, the, the Tanner Witt and LBJ, the guys that so far that have announced that they're coming back, um, what a what an unbelievable place to start on the pitching staff. I mean, you're talking about two really power arms and uh, guys that are incredibly competitive. I thought LBJ's um, progress this year was really good. I mean, you know, a guy that at different times his fastball command occasionally would come and go, um, but I thought that. He made the baseball go three different ways this year. He made the ball go, you know, his fastball command at a at a high velo, um, and then he was able to command. He was able to get a, a smaller breaker to run, you know, from right to left, and then his splitter to go left to right. I mean, there's there's a lot to that when you can do that. It created so many swing misses um, for LeBaron Johnson, and occasionally if he got into a bind, you know, the old swing miss strike three is one of the quickest ways out of a bind. Nobody else has to play and uh, nobody else to get involved. And so I, that's a great start um, for, for Texas and their pitching staff next year. I, I agree with Baseball America, whomever puts that out and says that, you know, that is a plus for them, and it is. Um, and then, you know, guess you know, coming in, too, you start to get some of the incoming guys that are, you know, highly thought of, sought-after players, you know, they are expected to make immediate impacts. But then you also got to look at, you know, there's a lot of recruits that, as a coach, you think you're going to be great players. That's why they're recruited to your school. And there's always one or two of them that come in that were not necessarily under the radar for you, but maybe from a national perspective that come in and, and make an immediate impact too. And so for them not to lose any of those guys as well, obviously is going to help with the depth um, for them moving forward and, and getting started for next year. The, the guys that were drafted and, you know, some of those guys right now are probably having a way um, as to what they want to do, where, you know, are they going to come back? Are they going to sign? I think he, I was listening to Jeff say the other day that, you know, the, the majority of the top 10 draft picks rounds, almost all of them, you know, majority of them signed, which is true because of the way the money is slotted nowadays. Um, and I think that has an, uh, an instant impact on whether a guy decides to stay because of the money or he goes, I'm sorry. And I just think that some of those guys are starting to weigh, 
you know, their decision, maybe some guys, this, this goes into effect a lot of guys' mindset. Have they graduated yet? Are they about to graduate? What does that look like? Because a degree from the University of Texas or a degree from Texas State University, all those start to, to have a, an enormous amount of value to them as well. And, and one of the things I think that these guys think about, the baseball is so important at these universities, particularly University of Texas. You know, you watch a guy like at, at LSU this past year, some of those guys that already graduated, they walked off that field and they're going to they're, – they're, you know, what they're going to mean to that university, they're never going to go without a job. They're never going to go without, you know, people knowing who they are, right? And so they're, they're padding and building their resume, you know, as a person and moving forward based off of their success on the field at universities where it matters. I mean, it truly matters. And people, you know, when you look at those possibilities and do you want to be on the mound when you get the last out in Omaha or, you know, at a, at a super regional or all those things where, you know, people start to, to, to form, you know, legacies beyond even what they already were. And so I think some of the players that they got drafted a little bit later probably having to weigh some of those decisions and some of those mindsets um, as to do I go back. And, and nowadays, you know, you hear people talk about does NIL have an effect on later round guys and, and you know, and, and them being able to, you know, make a little bit more money than beyond just the scholarship side of it um, and being able to entice guys to stay into college baseball, which you and I love because selfishly speaking, I'm glad all those got drafted, but we'd probably all love to see them come back because, yeah. man, that just makes college baseball that much better, right? Yeah, and even guys who uh, uh, weren't drafted. Now, Eric Kenny, of course, was out of eligibility and assigned a minor league deal, I believe, with the Royals. And then, and then uh, somebody's asking about Porter Brown. They also asked about Lucas Gordon, but I think you just touched on that. They're in the negotiation period, and one would expect him as a sixth rounder to probably sign. But uh, and same thing, obviously, uh, with Dylan Campbell being a fourth round pick of the Dodgers. Uh, and by the way, for those uh, folks who are listening that know that I'm a Val Dodger fan. If, if you're asking me, I'd rather see him in a Longhorn uniform next year than in a uh, Dodgers minor league <laughs> uniform next year. But they also ask about Porter Brown. And, 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 and Porter would be a guy who would have one of those decisions to make, whether, uh, because he's already graduated, has a degree in hand, so he could go ahead and, and bet on himself, so to speak. But, you know, he'd be starting out, in, and that's the one other thing I wanted you to touch on, Ty, uh, is that guys – who either go undrafted or drafted pretty low, what that life is like for them starting now, uh, if, they, if they go that professional route, what they're encountering, the level of the minor league, what the bus ride's like, that kind of thing, uh, To if they're starting now, their professional careers, what they're encountering. Yeah, well, it's a different lifestyle. Um, and, you know, you'll hear guys talk about and this is not meant in a negative way, but it's just reality. It's, it's a little bit more comfortable for these guys to play at these major division one schools and these beautiful facilities and the way college baseball has evolved. And, and then they go into, you know, uh, a whole nother team mindset. It's not the same as, you know, playing for an allegiance of a university or your teammates. And now it becomes strictly business, right? You are your own entity, your own LLC. You are, you are the guy that, you know, is going to make this your business work in the professional sports, and it's a little bit tougher. The bus rides get longer. Uh, facilities, for the most part, in minor league baseball have gotten a lot better without any question they have. And, but it is. It's a different, a different lifestyle than what they are accustomed to. It's, there's some unfamiliarity to it. Um, you're taking, you know, pieces out of there where you're used to having the same type of teammates, coaches, instruction, your, you know, your organization of a day has changed from what it probably was for three years, maybe four years. And uh, so all that's, you know, gets changed. And it, it is a lifestyle um, change for you moving forward. And uh, so it's not, it, it's, look, it's, it's a dream for every player to get the chance to go do that, right? And that's what you work hard to at different times in your life. It is a goal for most of them. And, uh, but it is different, Craig. And it's a great point. It, it's not like waking up in Austin, Texas every day going to class, having the same teammates, same coaches, playing in front of 7,000 people, you know, interviews nonstop, and all those things that, that go along with playing at major Division One programs. Now, now all of a sudden, it, it is business. And it is, you know, strictly, you know, the, the, it, 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 that's what it becomes. You are your own company now. 
No doubt about that. He's Ty Harrington, 20 years, head coach of Texas State, and other years, like I said, on the Longhorn staff, won a JUCO National Championship as well, and uh, uh, one of our broadcast analysts as well. Always great to visit with you. Hope your summer's going okay, and I and, and, uh, hope to see you around the corner. Well, I will say this. I saw where I heard you say earlier, I should say, I heard you say the hottest day of the year, <laughs> and um, I believe you. I'm not, I'm not going to be one that says that it is not, but I'm going to remind you in February when it's cold up in the booth and, uh, you know, today was the hottest day and it, didn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't as bad as it was as it cold, right? And uh, so I'll remind you of it. And then one last thing, Craig, I, I found it really fascinating. I listened to you guys in Sark's interview and, and, and college coaches now. You guys do such an unbelievable job of interviewing them too. But don't when you agree that they, they've gotten – uh, so much more open with information and, and, and talking, and there's just so much more. You know, we were brought up in that as a coach, you know, hold everything as close as you can to your chest and don't let any information out. I just find it really refreshing. I think it's got to do with the way you guys ask questions too. But I just find them, they're just more information come out. It's fun, and it's fun to really hear and, and, and exciting, and, and uh, you guys do a good job of asking. I think they, they share more information than probably our era of coaches did. No doubt. Uh, they're a lot of fun to talk to about that. You're a lot of fun to talk to as well. I appreciate it. Stay hydrated. Keep cool. I will do my best. All right. That's Ty Harrington uh, and uh, one of our broadcasts. Somebody on the Specs text line had said, uh, this dude talking baseball – it's not velo, it's velocity. Hey, the man coached 20 years in college baseball. We won a national championship at the JUCO level as well. He's earned the right to say velo. It's okay. <laughs> that might be the texter's pet peeve is to say velo and, and say velocity, but he's earned the right to say that. All right, when we come back, we've got Inconceivable here on Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. Inconceivable. Inconceivable! Inconceivable! You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Uh, well, it means a variety of things. First of all, our man John in the base sent this in, but I was prepared to talk about it anyway. You hadn't heard, today is National French Friday. So, there are several, several fast food entities that are offering free French fries, including one of Cam's favorites, McDonald's. You, you have to order in the app. You have the app, though, right? No, but I will be downloading it shortly. There you go. There you go. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there for that. Uh, I think Whataburger's offering it today. Your favorite French fries are from? McDonald's. Okay. They're great fries when they're done right. No doubt about that. Um, so, yeah. There's, there's something to talk about there. Um... McDonald's has something else going on that's got some folks moving. Are you aware that they've got a bag-free to-go policy in some places? No. You don't, you don't even get your food uh-huh. in a bag. You just serve it to you on a tray out there and you pull your stuff off? No. So I saw something on YouTube where someone took the liner off the tray and kind of folded it together like a bag. <laughs> so so they, had, they had that going on. Uh, but in some locations, they're doing that. Okay. Um, sad news for some folks who liked this beer. It's an old uh, craft beer. You, are you familiar with Anchor Steam? I'm not. Beer from San Francisco. Shutting down the oldest craft brewer, shutting down after 127 years in business. Uh, announced yesterday they're ceasing operations and liquidating uh, their business, quote, following a con- combination of challenging economic factors and declining sales since 2016. So no more Anchor Steam. Load up on it if you are are a fan of it because it's going to be going away very, very soon. Okay, I want to jump to baseball. Uh, for folks who don't know, and I had somebody telling me about this yesterday, Big 12 Media Day, they saw the Savannah Bananas play. Now, you're, you're familiar with the Savannah Bananas. Yeah. It's a, it's a minor league team that plays in the independent minor league baseball. But they've been kind of described as the Harlem Globetrotters of baseball, correct? Har- Har- Harlem. So they, they have some goofy rules when they play. Uh, they were playing a group called the Party Animals on Tuesday night. Naturally. Uh, and, and what they call banana ball is includes a rule in where an out is made if a fan catches a ball on the fly which was the case 
when the fans snagged a foul ball hit by party animal second baseman Dustin Baber with two outs in the top of the line. Here was the actual play-by-play call of it. Especially when you consider that Hosley's two for two with two doubles, an RBI, and a walk-off. Dustin Baber with a barrel, but foul! Caught by a fan! And that's your ball game! A laser beam from Dustin Baber! What a play by that young man! And the Nanners win five points to one! And the entire team going out there to swarm the fan! That is why you bring your club to a ball game! Game ended by the fans! The Bananas win it 5-1! Are you kidding me? Look at our hero tonight! You know, my favorite part of the whole deal is he says the Nanners win. <laughs> we were a kid, we called him out as Nanners. <laughs> uh, uh, Bizarro Dale Dudley's seen him before. He says it's the most entertaining baseball team out there. By the way, Bizarro Dale Dudley also had a had a uh, rebuttal for the guy who was uh, making the comment, uh, the, uh, the text, yeah. about... Ty saying, tell him it's velocity, not velo. And I said, he's 20 years in the business. He can say velo if he goes, that man can say whatever the hell he wants about baseball. Somebody else said it as well. Tell that guy to take a nap. <laughs> so there's some of that as well. Uh, John in the base says his office is just blocks away from Anchor Brew where they did the Anchor Steam. So yeah. Um, CB says the best fries are overrated. The overrated fries are Whataburger. I think it just depends on when you get them sometimes. What's the most overrated, Whataburger? He says Whataburger's fries. I would say in and outs fries are more overrated than Whataburger's. You got to get those animal style. Yeah. You got to do that with uh, the French fry sauce and all that stuff. If, if, if you're going to do that, you just basically have to do that. Okay. Final. Finally, got one other uh, topic for you. And, um, you know, guys who rent, rent apartments or homes, they're always looking for a better deal, a way to save money. And, you know, we always look for ways to save money in different ways. I have to use dry cleaners a lot. Sometimes mm-hmm. it gets yeah. pretty expensive. Well, in France, they're going to re- pay you. They'll pay you to repair your own clothes. Yeah. Uh, the way this is working is they're worried about uh, – Waste and planet heating pollution from the textile industry. So under this deal, which was announced by the Secretary of State for Ecology, Berenger Couillard, on Tuesday, the discounts range from like 7 bucks to $28 available depending on the complexity of the repair. For instance, a simple pair of restitching, you get uh, a, a subsidy of about 7 bucks, And... Resoling a pair of shoes will get like a 25 franc rebate or hmm. euro rebate. So, yeah. So they say it could encourage exactly the people who have bought, for example, shoes from a brand that makes good quality shoes or likewise good quality ready to wear to want to have them fixed instead of getting rid of them. And that is exactly the objective to create a circular economy for shoes and textiles so that. Products last longer because in government, we believe in the second life of a product. So there it is. Live in France, get a rebate for fixing your own clothes. All right, coming up, uh, David Yeomans to talk about how hot it is, not just here, but in other places, like world record all-time type beat, and a good cause on the board as well. We'll do that and more coming up. Second hour of Light the Tower on the Horn.